That's where um, Paul left um, Timothy in Silas, and the ministry was amazing. He, I'm sure Paul would have loved to stay there, but instead he was forced to leave uh, for the sake of his life. Um, and he made his way down, way down to Athens, which is where we talked about last, not last week, but the week before. We talked about Athens and his, you know, his ministry to a, a different culture, trying to be culturally relevant to the Athenians. Um, and we saw that there was a, a mixed crowd. There was three responses. One was people who said, sneered at him. The other response was people who said, we want to know more about this, kind of the open-minded skeptic type. And then you also have people who followed him, you know, who were, I would, I called them the, um, the, um, the, the moved, the convinced, the repentant skeptic. So yeah, you still have questions, but they were, they were convinced, they were moved, they were compelled by the evidence and they started following Paul. So he moves from Athens into Corinth. Yes, Corinth, that place. Um, you know, I, I, you know the, the, the carnal church, Corinth, the worldly church, Corinth, the, the place of great cultural mm, entrance, interest. So that's where we are today. We're in Corinth. Um, this is the gospel coming to Corinth through Paul. So the next slide. Corinth. And I named this little section Corinth, intent making and camaraderie. So it says here in Acts 18, start on verse 1. It's, it's kind of significant how we're, today we're, you know, we're talking about the Remembrance Sunday and the people lost their lives in war, but there's, there's a bit of a concept of just have that, that, that coming together, the fighting, that, that coming together for that equal, that, that goal, that bond, you know, and, and, and soldiers fighting in war. Yes, the word is... Um, camaraderie right here or camaraderie but not but it's not camaraderie which is like teamwork but they both come from the same french word which means roommate in fact i'm going to read this real quick because i like this section because again i think it helps us to see what 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 we see what's going on here with paul paul and he meets this this fella aquila and uh and his wife you know um what's his wife's name uh, priscilla Let's just read this this section. Think about the spirit of of this concept here. I think it's important. Camaraderie is the spirit of friendship and community in a group. Um, Like the camaraderie of soldiers at war who keep each other upbeat despite the difficulty of their circumstances. A close friend or a fellow soldier. In other words, someone who comes to mind when you say, we're in this together. I think that's a really important aspect of life. And, and in the last few weeks, I've definitely seen the importance of this. Um, and what we want to be careful is not to isolate ourselves from people too much. Um, you know, Paul certainly got to know a lot of people through his missions. But here, I want to look at the situation with Aquila and Priscilla and how Paul came to be there, to be, come alongside, to work with them, to be with them, just to be this comrade, this, this team player, this, this, this friend, this mate. So in verse 1, after this, after Paul left Athens, he went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, 
a native of Pontus. Remember that area I was telling you about? That's where he came from originally. Who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Now look at the circumstances in which they have come to Corinth. This is important. And this is important for even um, understanding why Paul was making tents all of a sudden. Because, why were they in, in here in Corinth? Why did Paul meet him here in Corinth? Why did he leave Italy? Why did he leave Rome? Because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. And we already hinted on the persecution in Rome and how there was a resistance against this ethnic you know, washing away of the Jews from Rome, and, and possibly there, there was feelings here, even in um, in in, um, in Macedonia and Acacia. So again, they left. So basically, they were kicked out of their home, if you will. They were living in Rome. They wanted to make a life for themselves in Rome. They're in Italy, and they were told they had to leave because they were ethnically Jewish. That is a sad thing. Now, now, here Paul meets this guy, and he has a, a bond with him, you know. And they also have something in common. They both were tent makers. So it goes on to say that Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So I'm going to stop there before I go into verse 4. Because the question is, why did Paul make tents? And I think, I think immediately you, some people might think, well, because he needed money. You know, God wasn't, you know, fulfilling his, 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 you know, his part in Paul's ministry. You know, maybe he was starting to get low on missions funds. And so he had to pick up some work for a little bit to make up some money. And you know what? That's possible. But the text doesn't say that. What does the text say? The text says he met this fellow, his wife, who, were, who left their home in Rome and is now trying to reestablish a new home in Corinth. And Paul basically is working with them help him establish this business of making tent. So is it because of financial need? I'm sure Paul made some money off of it, but I don't think that's the reason why. I think the reason why is because he was showing support to his friend. He met this guy and he says, I'm gonna, I want to see you succeed in your life here in Corinth. And so Paul was working with him to support him. But again, you know, even though he was working this job, this tent making he never sacrificed his calling. And the reason why, I'm, by the way, I'm saying this is because I believe if God's called a person like Paul to do something, he is going to provide everything he needs. But yet also when you're doing this, opportunities come to go outside yourself. And, and what I think about is like, for instance, my time I worked with, with Thresholds. And, and, and a part of it was to establish ourselves in this country financially you know, and having a job was a big part of that. So it was very helpful. But that was just a small portion of why I kept the job as long as I did. A lot of it was, for me, character development. I really enjoyed getting out into the community in that way and, and, and talking to other people and relating to other people and working. And for me, it helped me inform my understanding of life, working life in Scotland, and helped me understand... Uh, um, a lot about that particular line of work, taking care of people in social care, which actually I think has, has benefited me, my family, and even our church. So, so there's a lot of things to it. It's not just about making money. It's not just about income, because God can, you know, God can provide for us in all kinds of different ways. I really enjoy, and, and a big part of it was I like the camaraderie. 
working together with other workers, you know, having that sense of working together, being a part of a team, having this brotherhood. I, I like that. I really enjoyed talking to other workers and hearing them and hearing their concerns and, and issues and whatnot and, and, and encouraging them. I remember some fellows, I don't want to say anybody's names, but I remember one fellow encouraging him to, to study. He goes, he was thinking about, oh, you know, working and working's hard and, you know, I want to provide for my family, but I also want to study. And I said, just do both. Just do it. Do it. Yes, you're going to be tired. Yes, you're going to be cranky, but just make sure you get to bed in time. <laughs> you know, just do it. And he did it. And I was really proud of him for that. You know, there, there's, there's a lot you can get from, from going out of your norm, going out of yourself and working together with someone and having that sense of teamwork and friendship. Um, but he never, never stopped him from doing his ministry, from doing his calling. That's why verse four is important. Yet every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. So next slide. So Paul moves on in this next slide. He moves on, ethically speaking. Hmm, what does that mean? Let's find out. So in Acts 18.5, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So it's interesting between 3 and 4 to 5, we see now Paul changing Again, so now he's completely devoting himself to preaching and testifying Jesus, that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So here in this picture, we see Paul, he's fed up. And we know that his norm, the thing that he, he liked to do when he traveled, is he liked to go to the place of worship, the synagogue, to use the word that they would have there available to him to, to, to preach Jesus, the Messiah. But now he's fed up. He's seen that he's being constantly opposed by these people who should be open to the Messiah. And he's literally starts to shake out his clothes as a sign of saying, I'm, I'm done with you. And that's kind of what Jesus said. Remember he talked about like, you know, just dust your shoes off. If they reject you, if they say, that if you go to a home and they don't want to hear what you have to say, then just, and that, that whole town is in, you know, agreement that your word is of no interest to their ears, then just shake, shake off your garments and move on. That's what Paul's doing here. And he says this, he, he accompanies this word, these words, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. He's trying to bring them salvation message, but they're rejecting it. So they have to see judgment themselves. And Paul, he did the best he can to save them. And he goes on to make his bold statement, from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So this is Paul making his decision. I'm done I'm going to just focus on Gentiles. In his missions experience, he's tried to reach out. Like Jesus says, first reach out to home. Reach out to home, right? To, to people, you know, you know, start in Jerusalem and in Judea and then move out to the outer edges of the world. This is Paul saying to Jesus, listen, I've done it. I've reached out to Jews and they don't want it. In my experience, in Paul's experience, I goes, they're not listening to me. They're not receiving it. So I'm going to go to where the message is going to be received. And the funny thing is, like, I think about shots and how we first started, you know, in our ministry, and we thought that was odd that people, our peers, people in their 30s and older, didn't want to hear Jesus. They didn't want to hear Jesus. 
So what do we do? We start preaching to younger people because they wanted Jesus. Simple as that. The mathematics is as straightforward as that. You don't want to hear Jesus? We're not going to waste your time. You want to hear about Jesus? We'll waste time on that because that's worth it. We want dry sponges to be filled with spirit. And it happened to be young people. And this church was basically built from young people. <coughs> so I wrote up this fictitious scenario because I think it's kind of funny. So Paul says to Silas and Timothy, because we see Silas and Timothy coming back. They're, they're finally hanging out. They're finally back together again. So Paul says to Silas and Timothy, how are those Bereans doing? They respond, yeah, great. Imagine Paul's feeling. I wish I was still there. They were great, weren't they? They were great. They heard the word. They tore it apart. They investigated. How good was that? Now I got stuck with these guys, these clowns in Corinth. So they respond, yeah, great. They are, they're really getting it. They're, they're, growing, they're growing so well. How about you? And how about the Corinthians? Hmm, Paul sighs. It's, it is hard to continue preaching and testifying when all you get is opposition. That's, that's my paraphrase, if you will, of what's going on here. And my heart goes out to, to, to Paul, you know. But the question has to be asked. Paul's done with the Jews. But is God done with the Jews? I think a lot of, a lot of Christians who have, I don't know, um, I guess presuppositions about things can look at these scriptures and say, well, this is a sign that God's done with Jews and he's moving on from them. But I think that's a fallacy. And let me explain to you why. Let's just say two years from now, Danny and I throw our hands up in the air and say, that's it. We're sick of Scotland. We're done with it. We're done of all being resisted by people. We love our little group, but it's not enough for us. We got to get out of here. We're going back to California. We're done with Scotland. And we get in a plane and we go back to California. Now, does that mean that Scott and Danny's done with Scotland? Or does that mean God's done with Scotland? I hope you don't think that me and Danny represent God in its entirety. <laughs> it means that we're done. God still could do things. I believe God's is still very much so. And the thing is, as we're going to see in the next slide, as we move on to the next slide, let's do that. It's not about who you are, ethnically speaking, anyways. It's not about ethnicity at all. Paul might be fed up with doing this synagogue business because he's getting no results. But he's not done reaching out to Jewish people because he's not done reaching out to anyone. And the same thing with me. I, I don't care who you are. You can be Polish. You can be American, you can be Scottish, you could be, I don't care. If you want to hear about Jesus, then that's God's calling upon your life. And if, you bring, if he's bringing me in with you to talk to you about Jesus, then I'm going to take opportunity because I'm into, I'm into people. I don't care who you are, if you're Jewish or Gentile, I don't care who you are. If you want to hear Jesus, then you got my attention. And I think Paul was the same way. Yeah, he was done with that system, that pattern of going in the synagogue and reaching out to the Jews because he's finding himself getting hurt too much by it and getting chased out of town too many times. But it's not about ethnicity. It's about obedience. What are you going to do when you hear the word? Are you going to listen to God and obey him and repent? Or are you going to try to chase the messenger out of town and stone him on the way? So then Paul, in verse 7, left the synagogue and went next door. I like that. He goes, I'm out of here. I'm going next door. 
And Cornerstone kind of understands this because there's a lot of, you know, our experiences, you know, we, we met a lot of traditional aspects and shots is very traditional, a lot of aspects, especially with its religion. And we've tried to, you know, do things cooperatively with, with some of the local churches. And you know what, hopefully those relationships will rekindle in the future. Um, you know, it's, sometimes I'll, I'll see people in our past and we'll have nice conversations and it's, it's lovely. But the thing is what we want to do with our aggressive outreach into, you know, people's lives, you know, and we wanted to just go for it. We found that a lot of the traditional types want to close doors. They're interested in closing doors and categorizing things. And we weren't interested in that. We want to break doors open and get in people's lives. And so, so sometimes you have to leave those places and go next door. And, and of course, I understand that because we literally did do that. We went next door. <sighs> So that's what Paul did. He left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus, Justice. You know, again, this is profound. He left the home of the Jews, persons, and went to a home of a Gentile. Again, committing, a, you know, a moral, you know, wrong. Because in the Jewish mind, you don't walk into a Gentile's home. You don't have fellowship in a Gentile, with a Gentile, in a Gentile's home. But that's exactly what he did. He goes, that's it. I have no problem with the Gentiles. I'm going to the Gentiles. This guy wants God. He's a worshiper. That's a, that's, that's a present tense term. He's already worshiping God, but he's not allowed in your synagogue. So you know what? Fooey. You close your door to a person who's ready to hear God. I'm not having none of that. If you don't want to have none of these people, then I'm having none of you. I'm out of here. I'm reaching this person. This person wants to know God. He wants to worship God. And I'm going to spend time with them. And that's what he did. And you know what I like about this? This guy Crispus, he followed along. Crispus, who was the, the synagogue leader, he said, you know what? Paul's right. I'm glad Crispus was the synagogue leader. Because when you have a leader of a synagogue, you would imagine you'd be a spiritual person, you know, religious person with sensibility. And Crispus was that person. And he saw Paul leave and he goes, you know, I'm following right behind you, Paul. The synagogue leader, he went with Paul. So Crispus, synagogue leader, and the entire house will believe in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. So Crispus, who is this Crispus guy? I've never heard much about him, so I put a little biography here of him. His, his name means curled. Don't know if it's because he was born that way. Maybe he had cerebral palsy. I don't know if he had curly hair. I don't know, but curl, that's his name. One of the small uh, number baptized by Paul among the Corinthian church, or the Corinthian Christians. You know in Corinth, uh, how Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, and he was disgruntled with them. He says, I'm glad I didn't baptize many of you guys, because you guys are driving me crazy. But one of the, the few people in Corinth he baptized was this fellow here in his family, Crispus. He had been a ruler of the Jewish synagogue, we see that here, but he believed in the Lord with all of his house, and following Paul withdrew from the synagogue. He seems to have been, so some speculation here, this is from the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. He seems to have been succeeded by Sosthenes, which we'll see in a moment. And according to tradition, he became Bishop of Angina. And possibly the first franchise owner of Crispus Cream. Next slide, please. I just want to see if you're listening. Every once in a while, I have to test to see if you guys are listening. Next slide, please. So if God speaks, please believe him. This is interesting. So here's Paul in Corinth. And God's going God's to give Paul a direct message of encouragement. And Paul's going to trust the message that God gives him. And that's important. Part of our faith is trusting in God and his word. So in verse 9, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. 
Keep on speaking and do not be silent. There's a command. Do not be afraid. The temptation in life in general is to be afraid of all kinds of things. But when you're serving the Lord and there's opposition, especially when you've had reason to be afraid, like being beat up in stone like Paul has, the tendency to being afraid is definitely a real thing. And so Paul, so God says, listen, Paul, I understand you're, you're disgruntled. You get, you get, you've been beaten up a little bit too much, but you know what? Don't be afraid. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put a hedge about you for a little while. Keep on speaking though. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Don't, don't resort. Don't, don't, don't start putting your head in the ground now. Don't hide in your safe place now. Continue to be brave. Don't be afraid because I'm with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people. Again, a term, a concept of camaraderie. There's people there with him who are alongside with him who are going to encourage him and support him. It's so important in life to have people like this. Excuse me. Especially in the ministry. So there's many people in the city who are with you, who are with God, and they'll support Paul. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half. I think this is probably the longest stay he had, which again is shame on Corinth for being such a carnal, dodgy church. He spent so much time with them. I'm sure if he had stayed that time in, in Berea, he would probably would have <laughs> yielded better results. But then again, you know what? People who, who need healing, you know, who need the ministry, you know, there's probably a good reason for him to be there for that year and a half. And the thing is, I was thinking about this the other day, guys. Church really is a hospital. I mean, think about it. The church, I think a lot of people treat the church like a social club. It's like a thing that you, you go to, you belong to. It's a social club. It's where I hang out with my people who are like-minded and we're all, you know, we all have our little positions and our places and it's like a social club. But I think church is more like a hospital because the reality is what we see here is we see that in life there's spiritually wounded people, there's spiritually hurt people and they're around us everywhere. And when people are physically ill, they go to the hospital. When people are spiritually ill, they should come to the to church and they should expect to be cared for. Now, bear in mind there's different roles in hospitals, right? In the hospital you have doctors, you know, you have nurses, you know, various technicians. You have the gift shop lady. You have the janitors. And the thing is, that might be us. We might be here and filling these roles in the hospital. But the reality is, the hospital isn't for doctors. The hospital isn't for nurses. It isn't for the gift shop lady. What's the hospital for? The hospital is for patients. And the church is for people who are in need of spiritual healing. So just like hospital isn't for doctors, isn't for the people who got together. The church isn't for people who got together. That's why the church isn't a social club. But it's something a lot different. It's, 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 a, it's a ministry. And now bear in mind, sometimes doctors get sick and become patients. Sometimes nurses become patients. Sometimes the gift shop lady and the janitors become patients and, and, and they will need the hospital you know, in that respect. And so it's the same with us. Sometimes we'll have spiritual needs and we'll need to pull on each other. But that's the church is for. It's for, it's, it's, it's for, it's, it's in the business of getting people plugged into God spiritually. And it, then the first step is always salvation. And the second step is, well, we'll see, we'll take it from there, right? For, for the most part, it's discipleship, baptism, you know, Bible training, worshiping together, fellowship, you know, 
So Paul stayed there in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching the word of God. While um, Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place called the Bema, the place of judgment. This man they charged is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Now, right away, they're charging him with this religious charge. And from Gallio's perspective, he's thinking contrary to what law? Is this a legitimate charge? That's what, and that's, I think, Gallio's perspective. And that's his take. And it goes in verse 14. Just as Paul was about to speak, again, to justify his position, Gallio said he stopped him. I'm not interested in this stuff. Again, God interjected. Paul didn't have to say anything. God interjected. God put his hedge about him like he promised. If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor, a wrongdoing, a civil crime, or a serious crime, an evil, a wicked, violent crime, a criminal charge, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names in your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So then he drew them off this bima place, this bima seat, this judgment place. So again, because they, basically he's got right to the point. I'm a Roman, you know, judge, proconsul. If it's involved a civil crime or a criminal crime, then this is what I'm here for. But I'm not here for your religious laws, your religious theological squabbles. You see what he's saying here? So he goes, deal with it yourself. And the way they respond is mind-boggling. Mind-boggling how people can be. This is just makes me sad to my gut to see how people treat other people. So then the crowds, because they're so passionate about the wrongdoing, they decided to basically have you know, an ancient day you know, mob you know, riot. And they turn on their own. Sosthenes. Remember the other guy? Um, Crispus was the old synagogue leader. And they, the speculation is that Sosthenes replaced him. Well, poor Sosthenes. What a bad time to join the crowd. Because they took Sosthenes, their own synagogue leader, and they beat him in front of the proconsul as a sign. Well, look it. You think you're in charge. We're in charge. We're going to beat up our own leader. What's, what's up with that? There in front of the Bema seat. And I could spiritualize this and see how Jesus took the judgment on us as a scapegoat and how this guy was a scapegoat for them. But you know what? I'm not going to give them the, the benefit of the doubt of that. I'm not going to spiritualize it because what they did here was just sick and weird. And look at Galileo. Galileo, if it's true, the Roman mentality and spirit at the time, which is quite anti-Semitic, they already kicked the Jews out of Rome. And if he was anti-Semitic himself, he probably looked at it and said, cool, beat you up all you want. I don't care. That's what he did. And Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. So who's Sosthenes? Sosthenes, chief of the synagogue of Corinth, possibly identical with the co-worker afterward of Paul mentioned in 1 Corinthians 1. Interestingly enough, maybe he too got the hint not to hang about with the, the Jewish people in Corinth. They're violent. After all, he just got beaten by them. And so this, this is begs the question. So why did, why why did not not God? Why did God let Paul off? 
Because remember, God put a, a hedge about him. He said, don't worry about it. But then why does Sosthenes get beat up instead? And I'll tell you one thing right now. My answer to that question is, I don't know. I don't know why God does what he does. And sometimes it's hard. And if we always try to understand what God does, we're going to get ourselves sore heads and in, 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 in a lot of frustration. And you know what? I, my heart goes, and I sympathize for Sosthenes. I don't know why he did this, but you know what? Maybe it was part of his journey because Paul had a fair share of beating in his journey. You know, and so, I mean, I don't want to reduce it to character building, but I think a big part of it is character building. There's a lot more to it than that. And God's kingdom, God's plan, God, what God does is, is a very complex thing. And he involves complex people like you and I as individuals and even more complex things as individuals together as a community, as a group. Next slide. So there is a man's bema seat. And I think this is kind of having an eternal perspective. Here's an eternal perspective. So yeah, they got beat up at this seat. There was a disjustice that happened here with poor Sosthenes getting beat up at this bema seat, the seat of judgment. But there's also God's bema seat. And let's look at God's bema seat because that's what we should be more interested in. Romans 14.10 says this, then you, why do you judge your brothers and sisters? Basically, he's talking about mistreating each other. Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. So again, if you really have a, think there's a problem with that person, it's not your business Pray for them, care for them, minister to them, try to reach out to them, but don't condemn them. That's God's business. That's not your business. We're there to, for discipleship, for helping, for ministering, for reaching out, but we can't condemn people. That's God's business. <clears throat> and here, you know, whatever happened with Sosthenes, that just was just sick and weird. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due. Do us for the things that we done while in the body, whether they be good or bad. So again, it, 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 it's it's more important, I think, that we ought to think and look at ourselves and be concerned with what God does. And and, and were they beating up Sosthenes to make themselves feel better? Well, maybe they should have thought about this. If God's in charge, we should be interested in what God thinks about Sosthenes, what God thinks about Paul, what God thinks about this proconsul. But no, instead, they thought about immediate satisfaction, immediate gratitude. And it was like, listen, we're passionate. We need to see justice. We need to see someone pay. And so we're going to choose to make Sosthenes pay. And that is, again, a sad thing. And, and this is what we want to leave with, you know, I think this morning, just in that last slide here, how we treat each other, you know. It comes. There it is. Reflecting on this, look at how Paul treated people. Because that's our inspiration, I think, this morning. This, this concept of camaraderie. He supported people, even people he just met. He just met these people, but he had this, this bond. He was ready and willing to, 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 to go, you know, to, to labor, to work, to, you know, support people. He just barely met Yes, I know it's a cheesy picture, but I chose it on purpose because so I think it's, it's kind of fun. Just seeing the happy smiles. <laughs> but then look how the religious zealots at the time, how they treated people. They mistreated their own, you know. Again, I think a big part of, of, of our thinking is this. We're not in control. I think the problem with the religious zealots is they wanted to control the situation. While Paul... He let go. He relinquished control. 
he realized that when he's in control, he's really out of control. It's like an infant trying to drive a car. You know, when God, the, you know, is behind trying to hold on the steering wheel. And the infant's like, ah! you know, and no, I'm in control here. Let me drive the car. I mean, that would be dangerous and stupid. But the reality is, Paul realized, oh, mom's sitting behind me holding the steering wheel. We're cool. We're just playing here anyways. Whatever, you know. And, and we, when, we, when we're in control, we're out of control. We're like infants trying to drive a car. But, when, but what, you need to do, and what happens is we do stupid things like this, you know, like mistreating people, mistreating even our own people, people who we're supposed to love and supposed to care for. But when we realize that actually God's in control and that we need to trust what God's doing in our lives individually and our lives collectively, that we need to be able to step back and say, I love you. I don't like what you're doing. I don't believe what you're doing is right, but I love you. And I'm here to minister, to hold my hand out to you, to talk to you, to keep doors open. Again, we don't want to close doors. When doors close and things start to become stagnant and weird, that's when Paul left to go next door where doors were open. We want doors to be open. But in order to do that, we need to let go sometimes and let God and trust that what God's doing is right. And Paul was a man who heard from God, trusted in God, and was willing to, yeah, to find the doors and go, open doors and go through them. And I think his heart was, 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 was good and was right. That's how he had this, this ability to bond with people quickly as opposed to you know, those who are tr- losing control, feel like they're losing control. You need to let go and let God sometimes, you know? But that's this morning's Bible study. I hope there was a lot of things we talked about, but I think all in all, it has to do with just building relationships and friendships, really, and coming together, um, you know, and, and really seeing that God is our Father, and we're just His children. You know, we're siblings in God's kingdom, really.